0: From my new home office on behalf of the Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University, this is Getting Ethics to Work, the podcast that tackles the trickier moral dilemmas that you might face in the workplace. I'm your host and Prindle Institute director, Andy Cullison. And before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are not lawyers and are not offering legal expertise. And I'm not even going to try to insert my usual joke about being an ethicist given our topic. I'm just going to repeat, we are not lawyers. And we've been doing special episodes on ethical issues related to work amidst COVID-19. Go check those out if you haven't already. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Jessica Mejia. She is the visiting Shannon Scholar in Ethics here at the Prindle Institute. She is also our Assistant Director of Academic Services and a visiting Professor of Philosophy here at DePaul. Jess, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Jess, as I'm sure you know, we we have a kind of case study approach where we like to think about some kind of case that raises an interesting set of ethical issues and then we just talk about it. So the case I had in mind for us to be thinking about was, I'm imagining a boss or an owner of a company and they're considering if, when, and how to, to open up. I'm imagining they're in a state being given more permissions to open up the businesses, But I'm imagining a boss who has a really divided workforce where where maybe half the employees think, yeah, we got to get back to work and we really got to open this up. But, you know, the other half of the employees are are really angry about this. And they think that we should still be sheltering in place, uh, that this isn't the sort of business that should be opening up. I don't want to specify a particular business uh, because I think some of our conversation, what we might have to say is, A lot will depend on the nature of your business, and we'll get to that. But how does that sound to you? Sounds great. All right, let's get to work. So we've got some boss. We haven't really specified the nature of the business. Um, And one thing uh, we're not going to get into is we're not going to get into the issue about whether to open up or not. What we're interested in thinking about is what to do when it starts to become more of a live option or a live debate about whether or not it's a good idea for your particular business to open up. So um, what are you thinking?
1: I think we'd all agree there's a lot of variables to consider depending on the business, um, where it's located, what the allowances are from state and local governments. And also, I think from if you're a business that's somehow nested within a larger Business, um, you know, what are the rules that are coming down from the institution you're a part of?
0: I imagine also thinking about like the necessity of the service, and so I'm imagining we're going to start broadening our notion of what counts as an essential service. It's going to and, and thinking intentionally about is it time to broaden the notion of essential service to include whatever it is your your business is up to right? I mean, that seems like something that people should be thinking about.
1: I definitely think that's part of it, right? The So the necessity, um, is it serving basic needs? But also there's an awful lot of um, businesses that serve needs that are not strictly speaking basic, but that are still really important, right? Um, so a lot of schools are interested in opening up in part because Getting an education is one way in which people, and a really important way, maybe the key way in which people sort of advance in in the United States,
0: right? Not only do they serve certain important goods, but I can imagine there are some kinds of businesses that you might think they are elective for a short period of time. Like maybe you don't need to do this in the next six months but maybe you know, after a while, the thing uh, starts to be more of an essential service. So I, you know, I'm I'm thinking of things like dentistry, right? Like maybe people don't need to go to the dentist for a short period of time. But boy, if you shelter in place, if it goes on long enough, eventually you might think, no, it's it's time to open those places up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I also kind of think that the there's something about the nature of the business that's important where. Maybe it's not an essential service, but it's very low risk to open up, right? Where it's maybe very easy for people to come in and stay distanced the whole time. Maybe a business that doesn't serve a vulnerable population that we're, you know, we're keeping an eye on right now. That's, that's a sort of an interesting kind of consideration as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Sort of how, how easy is it to offer the product with limited interaction? I imagine another variable to consider is, you know, various facts about the nature of the team you work with. What are the members of your team like? So uh, one example, we already mentioned this vulnerable populations, you know, how many and or what percentage of your employees are in a vulnerable risk group? I mean, surely that has to be relevant.
1: I definitely think that must be. I think one that maybe hasn't been spoken about too much is the idea of, uh, you know, team members being vulnerable in terms of employability. It's very difficult for some people to get work. So if, if you're a business that, for example, employs uh, ex-convicts, ex-convicts have a hard time getting work uh, regularly. That's That's a problem, right? Uh, I can also imagine that uh, maybe maybe you employ people who have uh, who are otherwise considered special needs. That's a vulnerable population too that we care to ensure has long term employment options.
0: Well, here, here's something I've been thinking about as another variable to consider. In my limited experience, I, I have some anecdotal evidence that the people most angry about the shutdown also happen to be the people who seem to me least likely to want to comply with any precautions that we're being asked to take, right? It's it's the angry protesters who are also not wearing masks, right? So I'm, I'm imagining if you're a, a business owner and you've got a divided workforce, do you think it's worth sort of taking stock of how seriously would your employees adhere to any kinds of regulations or guidelines, or is this just going to be, you're just going to be a constantly battling your team to even do basic things?
1: I think there's probably a range with people, right? We're probably not all exactly on the same page in regards to how we're assessing the situation and all of the various uh, ways in which people are likely to take, you know, institute precautionary policies that work. I can't imagine we're all going to be in agreement about those either. You're right that when someone does not see, um, either does not recognize a particular risk, um, that maybe they don't weigh it the same way. Any sort of policy that you put into place regarding that risk, it's going to be harder for that person to be interested in following. So that, that's definitely a concern on one end. I I mean, I'm not sure how common it is for people to not take Precaution seriously but it does strike me that even if somebody does take a precaution seriously so you put into place a new set of rules for how your business is going to be conducted maybe you get people at your job on board right they're agreeable with actually carrying out that that new rule um, what they think about that rule may very well vary though right um, some people might see that rule as too cautious or too ineffectual. Um, some people might see that rule as not enough that more is warranted. And it, it strikes me that that those are sort of important um, those are important things to track as well and be aware of um, as somebody who's managing other people in part because you know long term that's that's going to be in the background, right? how they're going to be evaluating what what you've asked them to do. Um, what other people are doing or failing to do, and I could see that as a possible source of conflict over time.
0: I'll just add you know as a as a manager or a leader, one of your main responsibilities is going to be very clear communication. and it strikes me that with respect to any rules, you're going to have to have some kind of rules in place most likely. And one of the main reasons people tend to ignore compliance rules is, that, is if if they think they are silly rules. And so if you've got to work for if you think most of your team, or if you think a lot of people on your team are going to think these things are silly, uh, I think it's going to be very important to try and communicate as clearly to those members of your team the relevant science behind mitigating the the spread, the risks of not mitigating the spread, uh, show them that you are taking those rules very, very seriously. You better not deviate from any of those rules in front of any of them, because if they don't see you taking them seriously, they're definitely not going to take them seriously.
1: I also kind of think there's something tricky about compliance rules and that people have a hard time actually not there's this there's the following the rules part and then there's the a, a manager sort of ensuring that the rule is followed and that gets tricky too and uncomfortable right one kind of issue is going to be whether if you put into place a rule that that your employees aren't seeing anywhere else so if if it, if this isn't something that is strictly recommended by somebody in authority like a, like a sort of more governmental authority that's going to be tricky so you're 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 butting up against a, a lot of pressures right i think people want to do things that are sort of normal for everyone right and that doesn't exactly make sense um in a scenario like this because well, there's not exactly a normal business we have different Different team members, different kinds of clients or customers, and you know the footprint of the businesses are different, and the services are different.
0: Let's shift and think about variables that we need to be thinking about um, with respect to the customers, right? You know, I suppose one very important variable is if you open up, will they come? Will your will people show up to buy your products or pay you for services? Right? I mean, that's got to be a huge factor.
1: And I think that with certain, with some kind of businesses, it's going to be difficult, right? Um, I believe some states are requiring restaurants that are opening up to sort of ensure distance. And so maybe that means about 25% capacity in the restaurant. Well, businesses already have very thin margins. Profit, that's not 25% capacity isn't really a sustainable rule for them to follow. Um, so that's going to be something that restaurants have to consider in whether they should open up or not.
0: There's, I think, there's a simplistic notion that if you operate at 25% capacity, then you're just gonna make, you know, 25% of what you would normally profit. But it, it doesn't work that way. A lot of, for a lot of businesses, the profit comes with the last 10% of your sales or something. That's where all the profit comes from. So if you're, if you're not operating at full capacity, it, you you might actually, that could be disastrous. It, you could, you might save more money or be better off not opening.
1: It, it makes it difficult too, if one of your goals is to try and offer work for your team. So that's that's gotta be one of the considerations in place.
0: Another thing I was thinking is we talked about angry employees who might think this is all silly and don't want to comply. what What's your customer base like? are they are they going to be willing to comply with whatever? restrictions you might want to place on them like maybe you require customers to wear masks are your customers going to wear masks and then the real tricky issue is what are you going to do if they don't if they don't comply are you are you willing to do the hard thing and say hey sorry you can't come in here without a mask it's a really really hard thing to do i was in a store the other day and you know there was a guy who was standing just a little bit too close do i turn around and tell that guy hey we're supposed to be six feet apart, what are you doing, right? I know there's a good chance I don't have it. I know there's a good chance he doesn't have it. So, you know, you feel this weird social pressure not to be the stickler in a single individual case. And and think about this. These are your customers. These are the people who you rely on for money. So there's even going to be more pressure not to be a stickler with that one customer. So I'm I'm... I think if you're a business owner, you have to take a good hard look at yourself and say, are are you going to be able to do the things that you should probably do that I think are going to be hard?
1: I agree. Um, so I think that just like in the case of team members, sometimes you serve uh, sort of niche populations, the the population that you're likely to encounter. Maybe it's older, right? Maybe, or on the other extreme, maybe they're much younger, so there there might be some inherent vulnerability in the kind of population you're you tend to serve. and that that seems also to be a consideration, right? maybe if if your customers tend to be older, maybe you take more precautions.
0: So I guess another thing then to be thinking about with your customer base would be, do you have any reason to think that they would be less likely to follow the rules in the first place? Does your business cater largely to young teenagers who we know, and we already have some evidence to suggest, aren't that interested in following some of the guidelines? Um, You know, if you operate a bar, you know, as people drink more and more, you know, maybe they come in with a mask, but, you know, does the mask come off after three or four drinks? Uh, And and then what are you going to do? Another issue that I think business owners need to be thinking about is what do they think it's going to look like when you, the owner, or an employee, or one of your customers gets the coronavirus, gets COVID-19?
1: Right now, one of the concerns is the, the liability issues. If somebody comes into your restaurant and they catch the virus there, can you be sued for that? And then there's other concerns as well. Do you inform other customers that were there about, you know, uh, one customer having contracted the virus at your business?
0: Yeah, and I I think this just doesn't go well either way. So suppose you do inform your customers. Well, that could be bad for business. You're going to be the restaurant in town that gave everybody COVID or uh, do you not? Do you, do you keep it a secret? Well, if if that gets out, that's going to be bad for business too. Like, how dare they uh, have some employees with COVID and they let them keep working? And they they you know they they kept it a secret. They didn't tell the people there. It could be bad either way.
2: I
1: think the other concern too is just bad reviews trend. People catch something at a restaurant. If somebody gets food poisoning at your restaurant. That can trend badly, right? I imagine something like that can happen here too. And maybe relatedly, you know, one of the considerations about informing the public or your employees, whether somebody contracted the virus there is you want to be careful about, you know, sort of stoking sort of prejudice about that too, right? Uh, That somebody got sick um, shouldn't be a sort of a a reason for people to be, um, I guess, prejudicial, right? Either... So it's just, it, it's something, I think, to consider as well.
0: I, I read uh, an interesting article uh, in the New York Times called something like, uh, we need a new social contract uh, for the coronavirus. And a team of scientists in, in Georgia, I believe, they, they estimated that if we wanted to open up and we wanted to reduce the reproduction rate of the virus to below one, uh, so that means, for every infection, on average, there's less than one new infection. So you sort of that's how you get the decline. That we would probably need to reduce our social contact by something like sixty-five percent. Take uh, ten of your friends uh, that that you might normally see uh, on a regular weekend or something, or throughout the regular week. That means cut it down to three and a half, something like that, right? Or on an average, three and a half. Uh, I imagine it might be prudent for workplaces to start thinking along these lines, like, can we reduce the amount of social contact? Jess, do you think that there are ways that businesses might start thinking about that? Well,
1: I think that some of them are, right, in part because they're getting a sense now of how, how well their employees are able to accomplish a particular job. Maybe Maybe some kinds of customer service doesn't have to happen in a cubicle in an office somewhere. Uh, So I think that's certainly a consideration for people.
0: So I guess then one thing that might be good is uh, take a good hard look at how work gets done in your organization, how much intermingling there is with your workforce and how much of that intermingling really isn't necessary. Maybe you have people, maybe your teams are kind of constantly having meetings across teams, but, but maybe you try to keep people, if you can, in a single team or something, and, and try to limit the degree to which those teams interact or the degree to which those teams are in the office at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably low-hanging fruit for a lot of businesses too. There's lots of employees who would prefer more flexible schedule anyway. Maybe that's a good place to start if the goal is to reduce face-to-face time.
0: There's w- one interesting idea that I've, I've actually thought about um, is... I know that some of the public schools, in order to be able to open up, are exploring models where half the kids come in on, say, Monday and Wednesday, half the kids come in on Tuesday and Thursday, different kids. And so it's like e-learning days for two days, and then face-to-face. What you could do is maybe there would be a way to kind of mimic that pattern with your workforce. Like if your kid, you know, on e-learning days, everybody knows on e-learning days, you get to work from home. When your kid doesn't have an e-learning day, that's a day you can come into the office. And so maybe you could do something along those lines.
1: I definitely think that moving forward, I mean, I can, I already can tell that at least by the bevy of articles that are out there, that people are exploring lots of possibilities for the fall. Uh, One interesting thing about all of that too, is the the comparisons we're making between between sort of different state governments, but also different countries, right? Like you're seeing Europe do. There's just a whole set of different kinds of policies that they're enacting. Sweden never closed, so I, I think that part of what's making this this subject so tricky for everyone, like in more in more localized uh, contexts, and then in much in global contexts, is we just we just don't know. Right? Uh, we don't know which what's the right thing. We're working with too much uncertainty. And so when we see other people doing different things and we're not sure you know what to expect. I mean, what's gonna happen if I don't know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, what's gonna happen if it turns out Sweden did well and and maybe and better or even equal to, right? Um, the amount of harm that was incurred on the economy there is probably, it's it still incurred to some extent, but civil liberties were sort of protected more there.
0: I think as a a manager or a business owner, when you're thinking about the kinds of rules you want to in place, I think it's really good to keep in mind that a reason we're going down this road is people are questioning what the moral limits are of the government in limiting people's rights. And... Y- you're going to have a lot of employees questioning your rules and wondering whether or not you, as a mere business owner, have the right to place restrictions on people that they didn't want the government placing on them.
1: Because of all the variables that you work with as a business, what rules you put into place, even if they look the same as rules that someone else put into place, the way they are enacted is going to look different, right?
0: Each business is different, and while it's good to pay attention to what other places are doing, they may be doing things differently because their business is radically different. And so just because one business is doing it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do it that way. And I think it's just going to be the hard part of the leadership to sort of do the hard work of figuring out when do we have to look like what the other businesses are doing, and when is it okay for us to not look like that? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for joining us as we try to get ethics to work. I'm Andy Cullison, and I've been speaking with Dr. Jessica Mejia. Jess, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. If you want to learn more about what Jess and Andy talked about on the show today, check out our show notes page at prindleinstituteorg backslash getethics to work That's all one word: get ethics to work. Remember to subscribe to get new episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. But regardless of where you subscribe, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It is the best place for us to meet new listeners. Getting Ethics to Work is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University. Our logo was created by Smallbox. Our music is by Blue.sessions and can be found online at www.sessions.blue. Our show is made possible with the generous support of DePauw alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePauw University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.